somewhat uh, ironically, uh, the First World War uh, was described um, soon after, I'm not sure if it was soon after it ended or, or while it was going on, but it was described as the war to end all wars. People fondly imagined that this war, as terrible as it was, would finally bring an end to all conflict um, because um, the source of fighting and um, arguments would be uh, solved once and for all. Well, obviously, in hindsight, we can see how naive that was. Uh, the 21st, uh, 20th century, I believe, uh, was actually the bloodiest uh, century on record in terms of warfare and bloodshed and the number of people killed in war. Uh, The First World War was followed by the Second World War and countless numbers of other wars have happened since then. And of course, today, uh, we seem potentially on the cusp of another great war. And you might wonder, well, where is it all heading? Uh, Where is it all going to end? Uh, You see all the infighting and the squabbles and not just uh, between enemy nations, but even within uh, the the nations we would describe as allies and friends. We see there's so much division and uh, animosity. Uh, It's America. We've had the recent midterm elections and you can see how divided uh, the United States is. 50-50 on two different sides of uh, the picture. And you wonder, where will it all end? Look at our own situation here. Uh, A government which, until recently, perhaps still is in in turmoil. And you think, where will it all end? Well, the Bible tells us. Uh, The Bible tells us where it will all end. In these verses, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and he tells us what will happen in the end. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. God speaks to his prophet Isaiah, and he says, this is what's going to happen in the latter days. God tells Isaiah where history is heading to. Uh, So many people want to know what's going to happen at the end, don't they? Uh, People have all sorts of theories. Uh, They look at all sorts of prophecies. They They look at the Bible, and they look at other books, and try to figure out what the end has in store for us. But God tells us clearly. Uh, He tells us that in the last days, the Lord's house, verse 2, should be established on the top of the mountains. God knows exactly where this world is heading. Uh, Despite all the confusion we see, uh, that's just like looking at the reverse side of a cross stitch. Uh, If you ever look to the bottom of a cross stitch, it looks a mess. Uh, But turn it round, assuming it was made by a good cross stitcher, it's beautiful. But underneath, it's a mess. And that's like us. Everything seems in turmoil. This world seems 
to be a disaster zone of troubles and wars and disaster. But God knows where it is heading. And so what I'd like to do this morning uh, is just look at what God says will happen in the end. What will happen in the last days. But before we get into the three things which God tells us, uh, it's important to understand something that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is uh, an end time coming. There are last days yet to come. Nevertheless, there is a sense in which we today are living in the last days. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, the author of Hebrews says, God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And that was 2,000 years ago. But God says that it is in these last days that God has spoken to his son. Or again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, uh, the apostle Paul talks about the Old Testament. And he says that everything that was written in the Old Testament was written for our benefit. Uh, the people who lived in the Old Testament were examples for us. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 10, he says, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition, that means for our teaching, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul says the ends of the ages have come upon us. Because what that means is, is God has nothing left to do or no major event yet to accomplish until he finally restores all things. God has accomplished everything he needs to, major event that he needs to, before the end can come. So although we have final days yet to come, there is a sense in which we are living in the final days now. And so when Isaiah in these verses talks about the latter days, he is certainly talking about days which are yet to come for us. But in another sense, he's also talking about the time we are living in right now. Uh, If you've ever studied theology or if you like reading theology, you may have heard the phrase, now but not yet. And that's a phrase which theologians often use to describe the situation that we are in right now. Uh, Now, but not yet. For example, uh, the Bible teaches that if you're a believer here this morning, you're saved. Uh, You're forgiven. Uh, You are, as it were, seated with Christ in heaven. You're there now, but not yet. In a sense, it's already happened. Christ has done everything necessary to save you. So in that sense, you are enjoying God's salvation, but you're not there yet. We still have to endure pain. We still have to endure suffering. But one day we will enjoy our salvation in its fullness. It's now, but not yet. Or again, uh, Paul in the book of Ephesians, he says, we've been raised with Christ When Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised too. Just as surely as Christ was raised, we'll be raised also. 
So it's now, but not yet. We are, as it were, already raised with Christ. But there's a day coming when we will be physically raised with him. And you have to understand that there's this tension throughout the New Testament of this reality that we enjoy something of what Christ has accomplished for us. Everything has already been achieved, but it still has to work itself out in practice, and it will do one day in the end. So keep that in mind as we look now at the three things that God, through Isaiah, says will happen at the end. What we have to look forward to at the end of this world as we know it. Uh, God says three things. He says, one, God will rule over the whole earth. Two, he says everyone across the world will listen to him. And three, there will be peace on earth. There will be a worldwide peace. So those are the three things. God will rule on the earth. Everyone will listen to him. And there will be worldwide peace on earth. So let's look at each of those one at a time. Uh, Let's look at the first one, that God's will rule on earth. The earth will become God's kingdom. Now look at verse 2. Isaiah says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Isaiah says that God's house, the temple, his palace, if you like, will be exalted on the mountains. It will be established. And this is simply a symbolic way of saying that God will reign over all the earth. He will be king of kings and lord of lords. His house will be exalted above every other mountain. Uh, There will be no one to rival him on earth. He will be the sole king of all the earth. Really, that sums up the story of the Bible. Uh, The story of the Bible is how God will redeem and rule his rebellious world. That's in a nutshell what the Bible is all about. How God will redeem and uh, rule his rebellious world. Uh, The Old Testament, the larger first half of the Bible, uh, speaks of God's plan to send a king, to send a king who would be better than all the kings who were spoken of in the Old Testament, uh, who failed, who tried but failed, who tried again but failed. God would send a new king, a better king, the Messiah. And the Old Testament is all about how this king would come and he would save this world. Then the New Testament gives him a name. The New Testament tells us who that king is, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, is essentially identical to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, 9 to 11. He said, God also has highly exalted Christ Christ, 
and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're told that Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow to him. But remember what we said before. Uh, That's true in the sense that it will happen. We will see Christ reigning. But it's also true now. God is king, even if people do not acknowledge him. Uh, The Bible says that God's kingdom was established when Jesus came into this world and he died and rose again. Uh, Do you remember what Jesus' message was when he came to earth? Uh, The first thing he said in his public ministry was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what Jesus was saying there was, I've arrived. The king has come. Surrender to me. Repent. Turn from your own ways and listen to me. Your king has come. Nevertheless, he's a strange sort of king. Because most kings come with an army. Most kings come with weapons. Most rulers try to accumulate their forces and try to bend people to their will by force. But Jesus came as a baby. Jesus came as a peasant baby born to insignificant to an insignificant mother and uh, was fathered by a, at uh, least um, in terms of his upbringing, by an insignificant carpenter. Uh, Jesus was not your typical ruler. And during his life, he didn't live in a palace. He didn't have great wealth. He didn't wear great robes. He even said himself that he had nowhere to lay his head. Uh, he had to rely on others much of his life in many ways. And at the end of it, he was crucified on a cross. Strange way to rule, but that is how the Bible says he established his kingdom. Because the Bible repeats time and time again that the way up is down. And Jesus gave his life to redeem for himself a people. He died on the cross to pay the price for our rebellion. So anyone who trusts in him can be saved. Uh, He once said to his disciples that unless a seed is planted in the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. But if it is planted, it can grow and bear much fruit. And that was like Jesus. Jesus was that little seed, insignificant, small, tiny, and it was buried in death. He was planted, as it were, into the ground. But that plant, that little seed, will flourish into a wonderful, fruitful tree. And that's what will happen at the end. We will see it blossom in the way God intended. So do you see how it's now, but not yet? Christ has already died. Christ has already risen again, but the seed has yet to grow. Or it is growing now, and one day it will reach its fullness. God's kingdom is like a seed. The last day started when it was planted, 
but we await the day when it comes into full blossom. And Isaiah tells us that will happen one day when God's throne, God's kingdom, Christ's throne, Christ's kingdom is lifted up above every other kingdom and he will rule this earth. So that's the first thing we learn. The first thing we learn about the end times, uh, the time of the end, is that Christ will rule over all the earth. But we learn something else as well. Uh, We learn a second thing from verse 3. We learn that God's word will be taught. Look at verse 3. It says, Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Have you ever wondered... Why isn't there peace on earth? Uh, You think, does anyone actually want war? Uh, Perhaps you look at Putin and you think, why why is he doing this? Surely nobody wants all the bloodshed and the pain and the heartache and the difficulty and the suffering that comes through war. Why can't people just get along? (laughs) Have you heard that phrase? You think, why is it so difficult for people to live in peace? Well, the answer is, is because everyone does what is right in their own eyes. We all think we are right. We all think that we are essentially God. Uh, I'll take a very um, silly, menial example, but those of you who follow football may have known that Gareth Southgate, England manager, chose his England squad for the World Cup last week. And immediately you have the response from people saying, what's he thinking? Why is he bringing him? Why is he not bringing that other person? And there's all this argument and people complain because they feel they know what is best. And if we're honest, we're all like that to some extent. We so find it so easy to criticise others and think, what are they doing? They're crazy. Of course, other people are looking at us and thinking the same thing in different circumstances. And humanity's fundamental problem is that we all fundamentally, deep down, think we've got it right. But that is what leads to the wars and the troubles that happen because... We all have different opinions. Different nations have different opinions. And this leads to the uh, arguments that happen. Uh, Let me just give you one modern day example um, of how this plays out. Uh, So I've also got the World Cup in my mind, but you know the World Cup is going to be happening in Qatar starting in a week or so. And you know on the news, if you've been watching the news, that there's a lot of uproar about the fact that the World Cup is being hosted in Qatar because Qatar don't have quite the same, uh, uh, what should we say, ethics as this country does. Um, They have different beliefs. It's being a Muslim country. And people are horrified by the behaviour of people in Qatar. And they're saying, we shouldn't go. Uh, We shouldn't go to Qatar and condone such behaviour. But do you realise why that's an interesting response? Uh, Because by the same token, people in this country complain about the fact that the British in past years 
um, took over large portions of the world. And they say, how could the British Empire impose their values on other people? And they say, that was awful, that was terrible. And, to be sure, British, did, British people did terrible things in the course of that. But you see the hypocrisy. Uh, they say, oh, we shouldn't have done that then, and yet they want to do the same thing in Qatar. They want to impose their values over there. Do you see how we can't escape it? All of us want to impose our beliefs, our values onto other people because we think we're right and they are wrong. And this is what leads to all the fightings and all the problems. What do we need? What we need is a standard. What we need is a rule which everyone can bow to. It's no good trying to listen to individual human beings because we're all brothers and sisters. We're all equals. So who can say what is right and what is wrong? I can't tell you myself what is right and what is wrong. You can't tell me what is right, what is wrong. It's just a free-for-all. What we need is a king. What we need is a king who is above all of us, who can tell us what is right and what is wrong. And the Bible tells us that king is Jesus. Jesus is the one who can decide what is right and what is wrong. Listen again to verse 3. It says, Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of the law shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Now, when you first heard that, you might not have thought that was good news. But that is the greatest news that you can hear. Finally, there will be someone, someone who we can look to, someone we can trust, who will tell us what is right and wrong, and who can separate the good from the evil, who can put Putin in his place, who can put Biden in his place, who can put Rishi Sunak in his place, who can tell us right from wrong that is the hope that is the certainty that Isaiah says will happen in the end God will teach us his law and all nations will listen to him but again it's not yet but it's also now Uh, do you remember what Jesus said to his church before he went back to his father He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. God's word has gone, or nearly has gone into all the world. Uh, Those new tribes are trying to make sure it goes to the places where it hasn't gone yet. Uh, Christ tells us to go out with his words so that all nations can hear that Jesus is king, that we can trust in him. That is our task, to show people there is a better way. We don't have to follow all the strange and weird and wonderful opinions of others in this world. We have Christ who we can follow. And one day, it's not happened yet, at the moment people ignore him. At the moment, the majority of people don't listen to Christ's rule. But one day they will. One day Russia will listen 
to Christ's rebuke. The Ukraine will listen to God's, um, Christ's rebuke. Uh, Rishi Shunak, Liz Truss, Keir Starmer, Angela Rayner, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, Volodymyr Zelensky, Winston Churchill, Adolf Hitler, Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Nebuchadnezzar, all these people will bow the knee to Christ. And then we will see who was right. All the noise of politics, the Republicans, the Democrats, the Conservatives, the Liberals, all that noise will be silenced forever. Hallelujah. All that politics will be at an end and we will listen to Christ and people will follow him. They will bow to his infinite wisdom. That's the second thing that will happen at the end. All nations will listen to Christ. And that leads to the third and last thing that will happen at the end. Uh, Look at verse 4. It says, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The end result of Christ reigning and all nations listening to him will be there'll be no more need for weapons of war. All the swords, all the spears, all the guns, all the machine guns, all the battleships, wherever they are, will be beaten into plowshares. They'll be used for bearing fruit instead of causing destruction. There will be no need for them any more because Jesus will bring worldwide peace. Now, I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again. Uh, there are two ways to make peace. Uh, one way is to destroy your enemy. Uh, that's the way which many people prefer. Um, to make peace by destroying your enemy. But the other way is to make your enemy your friend. And today, Jesus, through his church, through believers, is offering friendship and peace to this world. Uh, Like I say, he didn't come as a conquering emperor with an army. He came as a baby in a manger offering peace. He did not come to destroy the world, but to save the world. And through the church today, he's offering reconciliation and friendship. And anyone who wants to can come to him. Anyone who wants to can accept Christ's offer of forgiveness and salvation if only they repent and surrender to him. That's open to anyone. If you're watching online, if you're here in the building, that offer is open to anyone. God doesn't want our money. He doesn't want um, us to do some great work to earn forgiveness. All he wants is our unconditional surrender to him, to stop going our own way and to listen to him and to trust him. And if we do that, we can be friends with Christ. We can be friends with God. And instead of him being our enemy, he becomes our Lord, our master, but most importantly, our friend. But of course, uh, there is the other way of destroying an enemy. And if people do not accept Christ, 
if people do not reconcile with him, if they do not become his friend, then Christ has no option at the end to destroy all opposition. And Christ will not accept any other rival. And that's the warning to us. If we do not accept Christ's offer of forgiveness, then all we can do, all we have to look forward to, is facing Christ as our judge, as he rebukes us at the end. Reminds me of a story uh, I heard uh, of um, a general um, and it was in, I think it was in the American War of Independence or some, some war in, in the States. And a spy came with a message uh, for this general, I forget his name, it, um, it's written down here somewhere, but I can't find it. But he was, the spy came with a message to warn him that there was an army coming. It crossed the Delaware River, and unless they did something, they would come under attack. But the general was busy. He was too busy to hear the message. So the spy wrote a message, and he sent the message to the general. Uh, But the general was busy uh, playing poker. And so he received the message, and he stuffed it in his pocket. And he was not ready when the army crossed the river. And you see how foolish, how ignorant. But that's what many people do today with God's word, with God's message. God has written his warning for us. We can read it. You're hearing it this morning. And yet people, as it were, stuff it in their pocket. They put it behind their back. They do not listen to the warning. And one day it will be too late. But in the meantime, it's not too late. (laughs) Right now, you are being given the offer to accept God's forgiveness. Right now, you have the chance of peace with God. And that's our role in the world as the church. Uh, As a church, our role is to offer God's peace to anyone who will accept it. This is why the church should never take up arms. Um, The church doesn't fight. We don't fight with swords and spears and guns and rifles. That's not what we do. We fight with God's words. We share God's word and we offer peace to others. This doesn't mean, of course, that Christians can't fight in the army, because the government can fight. The government should fight on certain occasions to defend this nation, and Christians can fight in the army. But the church, that is not our role. That is not our job. The crusades which happened thousands of years ago were a travesty and were tragic and should never have happened. We don't fight that way. We fight by offering peace to anyone who would listen. You might remember the five missionary martyrs uh, in Ecuador uh, in the, I think it was the 60s, perhaps the 50s. And they went out there to preach the gospel to a tribe which had never heard the gospel before. Um, Perhaps I think if anyone who had gone in there had been killed by them. And these five American men went out to preach the gospel and they took rifles with them to defend themselves Uh, But when they, as what finally happened, they were attacked by this tribe, they didn't shoot their attackers. And they explained in their writings earlier that they would not kill the tribe's people because they were ready for heaven. The missionaries were ready for heaven, but the tribe's people weren't. And so they laid down their lives 
to share the gospel. And that's the attitude that we should have as well, because it's the attitude which Christ, our master, had. He didn't come to destroy the world, but he came to lay down his life for the world. And so we should go out into this world sharing a message of peace, warning people that unless people turn to Christ, then they'll have to face him as judge. So those are the three things, uh, the three things that will happen at the end. We'll see that Christ will reign over all the earth. Secondly, we learn that his word will be listened to by all people. And lastly, there will be peace over all the earth. And I trust those thoughts are encouraging to us. And with those thoughts, we're going to sing uh, our final hymn, number 361. And this is a hymn which looks back at all the believers throughout history who have laid down their lives trying to share this message of salvation, this message of peace, that whoever believes can be saved. So we'll stand to sing our last hymn of 361, For all the saints who from their labours rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. We'll stand to sing 361.